0: lovely uh childhood that he grew up in and um just started painting this picture of a uh of a young man who had too much to prove and just the ability not to be able to you know give it um part two we are going to be discussing his brief time in college uh the rest of his stay in the marine corps and then uh, basically his unraveling of his mind, <clears throat> which noticeably begins to happen.
1: Yeah, it, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Part two is going to be interesting. I just want to say shout out to you, Dan. That was a very smooth way to call me ugly to my face. He said, you look like Johnny Smith. And I was like, "Ooh, burn. I need some lotion for
0: that fucking burn. <laughs> so uh, we're going to start the episode off with a, hey, fuck you, buddy. Hey, man, I don't want you to take away uh, your lotion supply. We know you need it.
1: (laughs) You know what? We're going to jump right into it. I am a dry hander. Uh, Very (laughs) utilitarian. Gets the job done. I don't need to be fancy. I don't need to romanticize myself. (laughs) Some people are like, I put on candles and I put on music and set the mood. Not me. I yanked that motherfucker out and on it like i'm starting over until the juice
0: squeezes out (laughs) just just get out there and hate fuck yourself i love it (laughs) oh anyways you know who didn't hate fuck himself charles whitman and charles whitman just arrived at the university of texas austin campus now this campus was uh unlike anything he's ever seen before it was a sprawling 40 acres of buildings, museums, research labs, swimming pools, football fields, baseball fields. Hey, that was my dear call, by the way. A whole world unto itself, uh, separate from the city of Austin, which in itself had been so overwhelming. There are more than 50,000 students and faculty spread over, out over that uh, campus. So it was a, a moderately large campus. Um, and again, uh, I didn't I forgot to mention it in the last episode, but where Charles Whitman he went to boot camp in South Carolina, and then from boot camp he went to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. So he went from way outside his norm <clears throat> to more outside his norm, and now he's actually in a reality where his father doesn't exist. This is the first time that he's been able to ever be his own person. And we're about to see a little bit of that take his life over. Okay. So his glasses were great. His peers were fun and his life uh, basically for the first time, like I said, was his own. Uh, He could choose how to fill his time. He could choose how to waste it. This time when he, overloaded himself with extracurricular activities. It wasn't to create the most impressive record possible and to make his dad happy, but it was to make him happy. And that is great. Good for him. This is the (laughs) only time I'm going to say this in this story. That's got to be so relieving to finally be your own human being to feel freedom. Yeah. Again, I will acknowledge that. Charles Whitman is a piece of shit moving on. Um, he found some like-minded friends and resumed his weekend hunting trips almost immediately. Uh, there were good hunting land, just a short drive out of Austin with deer and wild pigs running free and numerous enough that culling them was actually helpful to the local authorities. This is something I didn't know. Um, That even in the 60s, there's a wild hog problem in Texas. I thought it was something in the last 30 years, but apparently it's been going on for a while. You yeehaws need to start killing them piggies. All right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're anti-hog. Oh, yeah. Hogs are, are very terrible for the environment. Like, I just saw some of the damage they did in California. They're a very invasive species. It takes them less than three weeks to go feral. Within a month, they're fully feral. It's they're they can live anywhere, they reproduce like it's cool. Um, yeah, they're they need to be stopped,
1: and they're miserable when you match with them on Tinder.
0: <laughs> oh, Johnny. Um, <laughs> here's a kind of funny story. Um, <clears throat> August 1st, 1966, isn't the first time that uh, Charles Whitman brought something bloody on campus. One of the times he went out hunting, he was actually successful. But uh, because he lived on campus, uh, I really hate that this sounds like something I would do. Uh, But he (laughs) and his buddies brought the buck back to the dorm showers and skinned it in there.
1: I mean, yeah. I, it seems very practical. I could see
0: how that would turn some people off, though. <laughs> but they're in Texas. Uh, so, in order to keep anybody from getting expelled over this, they wrote it off as a prank. Ah, ha, ha. We just killed this deer. Ha, ha, ha. It's actually alive. Go, Bambi. Go. Um, wow. Yeah. So, something else that trolls started to do Uh he found a new favorite hobby uh karate you know to make oh. this human fucking weapon more of a fucking weapon um <clears throat> and of course he also karate. kept up, karate uh he kept up the exercise regime that the marine corps had prescribed um rising early for a run while everyone else in his dorm was still fast asleep uh so he kept running. He kept doing strength training, kept doing these hunting trips all to keep him sharp. So he was probably a month. Yeah. Uh, karate was the perfect martial art for him. It was about the direct application of fourth, fourth force with none of the fluffy <laughs> spirituality that he had been experiencing from it. Um. <clears throat> Charlie excelled almost immediately and his, his teacher put it down to his sharp reflexes. But the to- truth was that it was all thanks to the trauma he experienced. He became so yeah, numb to violence after the years, his father had been doing doling it out to him. He didn't flinch when he was struck and the usual moment. Momentary pause that an untrained civilian always displayed when there was a sudden switch from normal life to combat was absence. Absence from his movement. Uh, so when he got hit, he responded immediately. He didn't flinch. He didn't stop. That's because dear old dad beat the shit out of him. Wow. He turned him into a fighting mission. Dude, if this guy would have stayed till Vietnam, he probably would have killed a lot of people in the name of our country.
1: 100%. Okay, he would have been a war hero.
0: If he would have been to fulfill his college needs and requirements for an officer, he would have been in Da Nang easily. And he probably would have been killing Charlie like it was cool. Okay. So he won most of Is his that- battles. Huh? No, 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 go ahead. Uh, He won most of his bouts, and despite only just starting out, he was soon being uh, entered for tournaments and winning. Uh, Despite all of this excitement, Charlie never forgot why he was at school, and he never forgot that he was a, a Marine, and he owed the Marine Corps a debt of gratitude that could never be repaid. He also started scuba diving, too. So what you're seeing is Charlie's starting to live his life, but he lives his life the only way he knows how. And that is from just punishing himself with work, 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 work.
1: You know, I knew a guy who was in the army and he also uh, did a bunch of scuba diving. Mm-hmm. And uh, without mentioning names, man, that guy was pretty off his fucking rocker.
0: Um, so here's something else that needs to be mentioned on her first day on the main campus in September, 1961, he looked up at the 307 foot tower of the main building and was in awe of it. Um, the old Gothic Victorian tower had been rebuilt in 1934 and it was more of a modern building. And it was this version that captured Charlie's imagination. Uh, he, Again, uh, he saw this building and he almost immediately had a heart on for it. So it kind of makes sense <laughs> you know five years later, this is where his last stand happens. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. It's like people who fall in love with the Eiffel Tower. So and now, because Charlie had time for a social life, he had time for women.
1: Uh, I uh, thought you were going to say he had time for booze.
0: That too. Uh, but he he uh, he finally discovered that he had an interest in them two-legged deers. Oh, wow. Okay, that's what we're calling them? You never heard the song Titty and Beer by Rodney Carrington? No. I've
1: only heard one song by Rodney Carrington, and it was Dear Penis.
0: Dear Penis. I don't think I like you anymore. <laughs> All right. You used to uh, watch me, Dave. Now you do a stare at the floor. And he says, Dear Rodney, I don't think... Okay, anyway. Uh, you know who didn't listen to Rodney Carrington? Charles Whit- Whitman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kathleen Leisner was a trainee school teacher. A couple years younger than Charlie, she had brown hair, green eyes, and a soft smile that made the man melt. Uh, The way that their mutual friends described her, she was exactly what people pictured when they heard the phrase, the girl next door. Uh, They heard, uh, according to everyone that knew them, love was in the air from the first moment they set eyes on each other. And when they did finally start to formally date, there was a lot of silent rejoicing that life could now go on without the two of them constantly making puppy dog eyes at one another from across crowded rooms.
1: Oh, uh-huh. okay. So there was something about him. He had a little soft spot, eh?
0: Yeah. Or a hard one, whichever way you look at it. Um, <clears throat> Kathy's father was a wealthy man. Did you just growl at me? Bitch. <laughs> oh wow
1: <laughs> This episode got a grip
0: <laughs> Kathy's father was a wealthy man A Texan rice farmer And a real estate developer Well that's a combo um, He was happy to, <laughs> So he's paying for her education Um hmm. So after a few months, uh, Charlie dropped down to one knee and proposed to Kathy. In August 1962, Charlie and Kathy tied the knot. And of course, invited to the I wonder if he... What was that?
1: I wonder if he was like a sweet man, like in his relationship, was he like kind to his wife or was he just out the gate abusive?
0: Up until the last couple of months, Charles Whitman was a junior, was a good husband. He showered his wife in love and affection up until the last six months or so of their marriage. Okay. Okay. Because once, once he, he starts to unravel, he just kind of develops into a fucking monster. Okay, that makes
1: sense. I'm just curious to know if he was always rough on her or if he was just like was a good dude until he
0: lost it. No, he would apparently he was a very very, very, very good husband. Well, that's what's up. So um, Charles Jr. invited his family to the wedding this is the first time that he's seen his mom since he left home. Um, And it it was very awkward with him and his dad, Uh, obviously. They exchanged very few words at the wedding. And almost immediately after the actual ceremony was done, uh, Charles Sr. told uh, John and Patrick, the two sons, and the wife, get in the fucking car. We're going now. So... Well,
1: it seemed like he served the obligation to be there, but he didn't like the fact that he couldn't control his son. So after he did what he was obliged to do as a father, quote unquote, he got the fuck out of there.
0: Well, he basically uh, gave everybody else in the family uh, this ultimatum. Either you come along with me now or you're staying in Texas.
1: Oh, rough.
0: Oh, fuck What's you. What that, about Texas, that it's a threat for a Florida family to be left there.
1: I tell you what, man, Texas, Texas gets a bad rap. I'll like get down there. I might end up, uh, I might end up moving
0: down there. That's one of the places I've been thinking about. So, yeah, I've heard Texas is nice too. I just shit on it because, you know, it's easy to do.
1: you fucking yankee
0: well it's like fuck you all right i know where you're from (laughs)
1: i'm from i'm from down south my heart is in
0: dixie (laughs) beaver county get out of here
1: i'm from pittsburgh i live in beaver county just because of circumstances
0: whatever
1: that's right ohio valley general
0: shittiest hospital on the block what what Oh, that's okay. The man who <laughs> delivered me was eventually uh, arrested because he molested a lot of his patients.
1: Well, I am not a psychopath, so I didn't follow the doctor's career that birthed me. I don't even know who he is. Shout out to you if you're listening, bro. Appreciate the, uh, the guidance through the birth canal. Actually, nice job cutting on mom because I was a C-section.
0: Of course you were. Uh, Perfectly imperfect
1: Mom said too many people Have been busting through this pussy I can't let my son do it Take him out through the belly What?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Charles and Kathy uh, Have returned to student life Without much fanfare they moved out of dormitories, rented a little apartment off campus. And they had a healthy circle of friends, an active social life, and a bright future ahead of them. Now here's where we hmm. get to the mental stuff. All this okay. great stuff was happening, right? Where do you think Charles's yes. mind was at? His disappointment because he wasn't doing better. He didn't deserve any of this. He didn't believe he deserved Kathy. He didn't believe he deserved to be in the Marine Corps and on, you know, campus at Texas University. He didn't believe he deserved any of this because he wasn't perfect. His father had built this threshold, this standard inside his mind that he could never reach. And he just always felt like he wasn't good enough, that nobody deserved to love him, and that he was just overall trash.
1: You know, some t- it sounds like he was very hard on himself. And it sounds like someone that I, I know and love and care about uh, reminds me of that person. And I will say that person was also in the Marine Corps. And that person, I don't want to say he's borderline, but one time we were at a show and I said, hey, can you get your mic stand? And he couldn't fund it in the trunk underneath his pile of guns. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm. I remember that. That was the Ironstone Meadery show. <laughs> we were—he was strapped up for the apocalypse at this
1: at this brewery that was in like a classroom. <laughs> uh,
0: so Charles was having thoughts like, "Why would she agree to marry him? Why had he let her get so close? Now she was there." watching him all the time, eventually she's going to realize he's garbage. Eventually she's going to leave him because that's what he deserves. And so he has some real like paranoia. going. What it really sounds like. And this is, I want to talk about this for a moment because a lot of times older people always be like, Oh, anxiety and depression. I didn't have that when I was a kid. It didn't exist. Yes, it fucking did. The story proves it. This guy's having very real thoughts. A lot of these thoughts conclude with, you know, a personality disorder like borderline. And yeah, I've had
1: conversations with older folks and my parents that have described symptoms of this growing up or of other mental issues. And it just wasn't okay to talk about back then.
0: Right. And, um, it's just, he has this whole, just like, I'm not good enough. You know, everybody's going to leave me. Nothing I do is good. And I identify that with that hard. This story was hard for me to get through because it's like, man, I have those same, same thoughts all the time. I just constantly feel like, you know, I'm not good enough. People around me are going to leave like they always have. And, you know, it's just. Uh, it's just something that doesn't go away despite a lot of positivity and a lot of support that I get from, uh, people in my circle, you know? And it's just, I, I identified so hard with this. And again, folks, we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, but if you, if you ever feel like this, um, you know, it, it's normal and, uh, he Charles Whitman wasn't taught to was was normal, right? And if someone had just said, like, you're not crazy, you're not, you need to slow down, you need to stop, you need to pull this load off of yourself. We'd probably be not talking about this right now. A hundred percent. That's what I believe. If someone would have just stepped into Charles life and said, Hey man, hey big dog, you need to calm the fuck down. <laughs> And again, folks, <laughs> Big dog. if you're dealing with any of these thoughts, call 800-273-8255 and they will put you in touch with the help that you need. And it is very important that you get it because there's people in this life that love you. And there's people that care uh, about you greatly. I am sure of it.
1: Just to add on that, uh, Dan, thank you for being vulnerable, putting yourself out there. And, uh, I know it's not going to change how, uh, your struggles and whatnot, but I'm not going anywhere in your life, fucker.
0: You can <laughs> deal with my <laughs>
1: annoying bullshit. Wow.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so when he would get into these these horrible, horrible, uh, uh, again, what, mentioned it right before we came into part two, it's like a quagmire of despair, just just a swamp of depression. And it just feels like you're never going to get out of it. So when he would get into these, um, these moments, everything around him suffered: his grades, his extracurricular activities, his marriage. Everything suffered because he couldn't maintain uh, the level of precision that he had been operating at. So he began okay. to make sense. He he began to slip to a C average across all his classes, and he was in a cycle of panic. Um, and it just this gave way to relentless fear. If he couldn't write his grades before the end of the semester, then a scholarship from the Marine Corps would be withdrawn and he'd have to return to active duty. So this was a very huge part of anxiety for him. He put himself behind the ball and now he couldn't push it forward and he was struggling. And, oh, my God, what was going to happen if he was going to go back in active duty? He's a newlywed. His wife has to finish school. What's going to happen? What's going on? What if his father finds out? His father's going to be happy that he's failing. Blah, blah, blah. Just all these thoughts coming at him 110%. And, again, I know I'm kind of identifying with him right now. But, again, I need to say this. Charles Whitman is a fucking monster. And I'm pretty glad he's dead. Very glad he's dead.
1: Absolutely. Um, piggyback on top of that. I'm just going to keep throwing encouragement your way, Dan, you are worth it. You are valuable. My life is better with you in it. I know plenty of people firsthand that I speak to fairly frequently that is all better with you in it. Uh, you are harder and dude, I know you get down on yourself, but plenty of us
0: love you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I ain't going anywhere, Johnny. (sighs) Um, <laughs> so they had only been married for 6 months. It's like you get this stuff out there then it's like oh yeah, I got a script I got to read. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you you pour your heart and soul out and you're like oh shit, back to the story. <laughs> so they they barely been married for 6 months. Um when everything started falling apart. 6 months in which he had done his best to do everything and anything that she wanted. Uh with attention, affection, and gifts. Now that the endless font of kindness began to dry up and he didn't have time to take on odd jobs for extra cash, he had to spend his time in the library instead of meeting her after class and walking her home. So, you know, now he's feeling like he's failing as a husband. Um, You
1: know what? I'll be honest. When I first got married, I was in college and boy, oh boy, did my college career fall the fuck apart because my wife was working days and I was taking night classes and I was like, this is not working for the marriage. Boop.
0: Yep. Um, so at the end of his semester, his grades hadn't improved and the Marine Corps sent a letter demanding his return to active duty immediately. Only then did he finally re- reveal this to his wife. He expected her to leave him, to hate him, uh, but again, the opposite. Uh, she wiped away his tears. She hugged him. She treated him like a normal human fucking being. Um, and wow, she that's beautiful. That he, It's kind of sad, especially since we know where this story is going. Uh, she recognized that he was struggling and had given all of her support, but he had been so afraid of Realizing that she married, uh, he began afraid of her realizing that she married a nobody and leaving him and that the full extent of his troubles had never been exposed, uh, spoken. So they, they agreed on remaining faithful, um, to each other and that they were going to make this work. So Charlie returned to the Marine Corps. He returned to Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. Um, and Now the Marine Corps was something very different to him.
1: If it would have been today, she would have been like, I got us, boo. I'll start an OnlyFans. We ain't
0: going to suffer. Hell yeah. Um, So he approached the the Marine Corps very different this time. Uh, Originally, he was, uh, you know, gung-ho about it. This is great. This got me out of the house. This is awesome. I'm excelling. Now this is keeping me from my wife. This is keeping me Mm -hmm. from living my life. This is keeping me from what I just had. Um, And that really affects his career. Uh, Most days he struggled to even be average. The things that had once seemed familiar and comfortable about the Marine Corps reminded him now all too much of his father. He resented having orders barked at him. He hated having his every waking moment dictated to him by some force on high. His hobbies were curtailed. Uh, again, he couldn't do what he, he couldn't live the life the way he was. Um, mm-hmm. And then again, another head injury, another near death experience. One day he was out on a normal patrol, of the base uh, with a, another Marine. And this Marine, Marine was driving the Jeep. Uh, he misjudged a corner and went over the edge of a ditch flipping her vehicle. Both men were injured in a crash <laughs> and slipping in and out of consciousness. The two of them were bleeding, bruised, and battered with a few broken bones apiece without medical attention. They were liable to die right where they lay, and they weren't going to get that help. They're, they tumbled over the ditch, uh, had sent them downhill and out of sight of the road. So he got pretty messed up here.
1: So how did he get himself out of this situation? <clears throat>
0: uh, um, so basically, he—I get the the strength of this dude is amazing. So basically, he pulls this other marine, drags him uphill and onto the side of the road. And when the the next patrol came by, both these guys were sitting like back to back, unconscious. Um, they were propped up against each other at the roadside, unconscious and injured. Neither were in a fit state to tell anyone what had happened, yet there was enough of a trail left behind to explain what did. Uh, Charlie's, uh, Again, Charlie's comrade-in-arms had been pinned in place by the crashed car, and somehow Charlie managed to lift the vehicle off him, pull him out, and pull him up the hill. Holy shit. Again, this guy... Would have been fucking incredible in combat. Are you kidding me? We probably, but this this stuff just makes me believe that if he went to combat, if he had made it to Vietnam, he probably would have been awarded the Medal of Honor.
1: I just, yeah, man. He he sounds like he's an extremely uh equipped at all that. Like he sounds like he got a mini dose of uh, super soldier serum.
0: Well. It's also the adrenaline and the fact that he was able to hone it like he did and remove his buddy from danger and drag him out of the way, like he probably would have taken out like 60 or 70, you know, Viet Cong before dragging, you know, uh Bubba out of the woods on his shoulder and got shot in the butt, you
1: know. Yeah, man, he was intense. Um, unfortunately, he did not do any of that. So we can't praise this piece of shit.
0: Nope. Though I will tell you, look at a photo of him. And you're like, that's a hundred percent mammy. That is a, a dude who's going to go into Vietnam and kill a bunch of commies.
1: Yeah. I've seen pictures of him, and it's like, huh? If there's
0: ever been an American born and bred, man, that's one right there. So, uh, He spent the next week or so laid up in the hospital um, with nothing to do but write letters to his wife, Kathy. Um, Again, the men who he'd been serving with all came to visit him and praise his bravery, uh, but he couldn't even remember doing what he did. Uh, So again, another concussion. Uh, uh, The feeling of being an imposter... Um, grew when he was released back to active duty and he had discovered he had been uh, promoted to Lance Corporal. Um, he rose to the occasion, of course, fulfilling all of his duties and helping out where he could. Yet in the back of the mind, he always knew that he wasn't good enough. He, um, On the other hand, he had just been through his second brush with death and it reminded him of the first At the last time he nearly died, he completely changed the course of his life. Did he need to do that here? Um, Did he deserve to survive? You know, he's dealing with all this stuff. Like, do I deserve any of this? This guy had a lot of
1: demons going on.
0: And again, because of the the climate of the time, men don't fucking cry. Men don't have emotions. Men, men, men. Do I think that's one of the reasons why he he did... Seek out uh, a therapist, but he 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 had finally uh, brought himself to do that too late. So maybe if mm-hmm. we didn't have this mentality of men are just tough as males, blah, 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 maybe we'd be talking about a different story, but we're not. We're not. Charles Whitman killed a lot of people and he wounded a lot of people.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: So, to keep himself occupied, Charlie developed a new habit. Gambling. Ah. That's a fun life advice. Gambling happened all the time on base. And the ranking officers were happy to pretend that it didn't happen. Uh, despite having to work for every penny, Char- Charles had always been quite free and easy with his money, having no real use for it beyond essentials and treats for Kathy. But suddenly, the cash he had on hand became increasingly relevant. Without cash in his pocket, he couldn't gamble. If he couldn't gamble, then life on the base started fading back into the same dull gray again. He made a few loans to his uh, gambling buddies over the course of, uh, uh, of the few months, and they always paid him back. The situation in November of, so he's becoming a loan shark. So the situation in November of 63 was different though. Uh, There was a debt of $30 outstanding for over a month from a man that Charlie didn't know very well and certainly didn't trust. trust. Um, So here, Charlie, this is his first instance of dipping his toes into the idea of being a bad guy. Um, and now he was going to get the opportunity to test it out by strong-arming somebody who owed him money. His first couple of attempts were laughed off because we talk about his, his impending size, but Charlie's like, hey, man, could you maybe you know, give me that money? And uh, if, you, if, you, if you would please put some interest on that because you have owned me for over a month, man. Could you just please get it to me? Uh, that was laughed off. And, He's got to realize
1: how big he is.
0: And Charlie um, did not like that. Uh, so the next time <laughs> he cornered the man, the man started laughing him off, and he pulled up his shirt to reveal a pistol. Uh, but because guns were uh, kept under lock and key on base, it was illegal for him to have his own Um so the guy uh, filed charges against Charlie. Um, mm-hmm. Charlie was brought up on charges uh, within a day of making his threats, and he was long locked up not long after. But at this time, oh. he began keeping a journal of his thoughts that he'd entitled The Daily Record of C.J. Whitman. Page after page of this book was filled with praise for his wife, Kathy, Every time he didn't have a thought to commit to paper, his mind seemed to turn to her. Uh, The rest of the journal was occupied with a a recounting of his daily actions, the communications that he was allowed to make, and the lamenting of his history with his father. One final section of the journal, which seemed to grow more and more and more, um, was about the contempt he held for the Marine Corps, uh, preying on the young men when they were at their most vulnerable and then treating them like he'd been treated. Um, but you know what? I'll
1: say this again, like the armed services get a lot of crap for their recruitment, but <clears throat> it can be legitimately used as a way out of your
0: situation. Right. Um, So he, he, he itemized a list of all the cores In in inefficiencies and lamented his decision to sign up. Anxiety about his upcoming day in court was also present on every page. He's called up for his court martial uh, in November of 1963. Whilst he denied making threats of violence towards a fellow Marine, he was found guilty. He willingly admitted to possessing the unauthorized 25 caliber pistol While at camp lejeune and during his brief service on the uss raleigh uh, back in july of the same year in addition he was found with two rounds of m14 ammo and he had been carrying um and admitted to lending money with interest on no less than 10 different occasions in addition to his gambling while charlie saw this as an opportunity to unburden himself and admit to the world that he was worthless or was he just trying to get dishonorably <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at that huh i don't mean to laugh at that but just it 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 comes off as funny sounding yeah <laughs> um or was this just an opportunity for him to get dishonorably discharged from service uh, but he was regardless he's completely forthright with his uh when he was questioned for his crimes he was uh, sum, summarily demoted back to private and sentenced to 30 days of confinement and another day, 90 days of hard labor. It was the kind of sentence that would have ground a regular man down and made him more compliant. Almost a full year of punishment for transgression that was normally uh, had been swept under the rug for Charlie. It was a return to form. By tar- time it was over, he was done with the Marines for good. He served a sentence... And by the back half of 1964, he received his honorable discharge. There was nobody uh, left in the Marine Corps that wanted to hold on to him. And he had nothing to gain by lingering around any longer. He took the back pay that he was due and caught a train back to his real life in Texas. Good for him. Kathy Kathy had waited for him patiently, just like she promised, and the reunion was as romantic as could be expected. They fucked. But the rest of the world hadn't ground to a halt just because Charlie Whitman wasn't present. She had graduated from university, and she had been on the verge of moving out to meet Charlie uh, wherever he was stationed before his court-martial. And since then, she had been lingering in limbo, acting first as a substitute, then finally sliding into a full-time position as a biology teacher at Lanier High School. Hmm. Okay. So um, they move into a little brick cottage in the suburbs of Ch- uh, Not Chicago. What was I going to say Chicago? Austin. We're in Texas, not Illinois. <laughs> um, and most notably, there is a pecan tree growing in their front garden. Uh, Charlie hung a rope from the sturdiest branch so that he could do his morning exercises. Um, it had became a neighborhood spectacle. All the kids would come out to watch him and they'd chase along after him. And when he went for his morning run until eventually they exhausted themselves and he outpaced them. There was no shortage of housewives gawking at him either. Okay, so they were like, "Ooh, look at this man. Oh, yeah. The the kids liked him so much that it was almost natural that he became a scoutmaster for the local kids. Not after not long after his return to the city. Man, the only
1: thing I'm not liking about this story is that like up to the point where he starts killing people, he sounds like a good dude, right?
0: Like for the most but, part, he sounds like a really decent dude. But that's how. Ted Bundy was known. That was how Gary Ridgway was known. That's how people saw Dahmer, uh, Gacy. Uh, It's never about what's on the outside. It's what. (laughs) Shut up. Uh, So he fell back into normal life uh, pretty easily. Uh, Most. and even his friends' groups. Most of them had moved on to postgraduate work rather than leaving the comfortable halls of the university. So little had changed in that regard, although quite a few more of them had settled into marriages, making double dates much easier to arrange. So yeah, I mean,
1: man. Um, I'm sure you can you can go this way and and, and uh, speak for this on, like, deployments and stuff, or in prison, or, you know, through deaths. When your world slows down and stops the rest of the
0: world, keeps fucking moving, man. Oh, yeah. It just, everything keeps going and going and going. Like, I couldn't tell you, one of the weirdest things would be coming back from, like, a a deployment, and then all of a sudden, like, uh, there's Lady Gaga or Katy Perry or stuff like that. Like, I remembered when I was in Iraq, we had MySpace. Remember how, like, people used to put the stupid fucking names on there? Well, like, yeah, that song, I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It, came out, and I started seeing girls all over my MySpace list, just you know, putting in like quotes like, I kissed a girl and I liked it. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Then you come back to the stage to just figure out it's a stupid pop song.
1: Okay, I got one for you, Dan, since we're sharing stories. I did a I was doing a bid about a year long and Mm -hmm. I got out and I got this little shitty job at a telemarketing place. And one of the guys there was selling bootleg movies. I said, okay, let me see your list. And, you know, from what I understand, bootleg movies, they were always like the movies out and shit like that. And I was reading his list and I saw Rush Hour 3. And I was like, oh shit. When is this coming out? This sounds crazy. He was like, oh, bro, it's been out for like six, seven months. I probably only got one more disc of that left if you want it. Like, just there's so much that I would miss in normal life that was crazy.
0: I can tell you, I can still remember where I watched Iron Man for the first time. Bro,
1: Prison prison Movie Day was where I saw so many I saw a lot. Captain America, the the Winter Soldier. There, I man, I tell you what, I that's honestly that's how I gauge certain points in my life. I was like, oh yeah, prison, blah 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 blah, or this this time, blah 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 blah. What? What were you doing in two thousand?
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You get it. Um, I was actually on the on a cot in this holding area because we. Had just finished our mission in Iraq, yet we couldn't get out of Iraq yet. So we just basically somebody had downloaded all these movies off of one of the the drives. I can't explain it because I still don't understand it. And he's like, Dude, You're not gonna believe this movie. I'm like, oh my god. And then again, this is at a time when Iron Man wasn't incredibly known because there wasn't a huge comic book boom. And they're like, Oh, I think they made a Somebody said, I think they made a movie off of that Black Sabbath song. Okay. Oh, wow. That's great. So, yeah, that's the first time I ever watched it, bootleg. Okay. I'll take it, man. So, you know who wasn't watching Iron Man? Charles Whitman. So, he wanted to go back (laughs) to school because in order to be a good person – he had to get a college education or order to be able to provide for his wife because, again, she has the job. Um, but because he used his GI Bill when he was basically going to school before, uh, he had to pay for school out of pocket. Mm. They couldn't afford it. Um, so he turned to the one person in this life that he should have never have talked to again.
1: Oh, I know who it's going to be.
0: Hey, Dad, I need some money. Um, Papa Chuck, been, I'm a failure. Yep. Uh, it had been many years since Charlie spoke to his dad. Now that he's confronted with the reality of it, he sat there with the phone in hand, and he struggled to even remember his old phone number. His mom answered the phone, as was her duty, And their brief conversation was full of tense silences, full of unsaid things. But she was delighted to hear from him. But showing that delight might have gotten her beaten. Oh, no, that's awful. So uh, he basically, hey, I need to talk to dad. She's like, no, you don't need to do that. Because if Charles Sr. got off the phone angry, who do you think he's going to take that anger out on?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Unfortunately, absolutely.
0: So, uh, when they spoke, Charles Senior gave no evidence of his son being estranged. He's, hey, how are you? Hey, how's your wife? Um, how how's everything going? How was the Marine Corps? Blah blah blah. Just acting like nothing happened. Uh, it made yeah. That's a... uh, so. It was basically kind of a mindfuck because it's like, man, if he's this happy without me, should I have been a part of this family in the first place? Blah, blah, blah. But uh, he finally awkwardly turned the subject around to money. Uh, he told us and <clears throat> it sounded like his father could barely contain his delight. He offered Charlie whatever he needed for tuition, whatever he needed for anything. He is more than willing to finance Charlie as long as it made him beholden to his father again. It took a considerable amount of negotiation to get him down to only covering the cost uh, of Charlie's college tuition. The price for that assistance had yet to be negotiated when the money was wired. Uh, But Charlie was completely certain that he'd be paying for it for many years to come.
1: Yeah, man, that's vicious. Like his dad was like, yeah, I'll help you just like, just to get his hooks in him again.
0: Yep. That's a shame. So, and now at this time, they bought a dog. Um, Charlie had never had a pet before. Um, his father didn't approve. Shocking. Uh, the man and the dog <laughs> had been a match made in heaven, but Charlie was perpetually uncomfortable around it. He did his duty to walk scotchy, feed him, even pet him when the dog demanded attention, but it was always out of respect for Kathy's wishes rather than any desire to spend time with the animal.
1: That's weird, man. That's really weird. Just like to pet the dog out of duty.
0: Right. So life rolled on. Uh, But something about studying through the day and toddling home to walk the dog and cook for his wife grated on Charlie. He absorbed all the toxic lessons of his father about a man and woman's role in marriage. And now he found himself with his wife as the breadwinner in their relationship, and it made him intensely uncomfortable. Huh. Okay. He, he took a part time job uh, for some extra pocket money. Uh, he he began working extra hours anywhere he could find. Um, he was working with a, a shipping company in the offense called uh, Central Freight Lines. It was just office work, the kind of thing his father would have called. Uh, pencil pushing, but it made him feel like a man again.
1: Hey, somebody's got to push pencil, you know. Not everybody can be right. out here beating perfection in the world.
0: So, then to make another change, Charlie decided to switch his major from mechanical engineering to architecture. Oh, how because did that remember, go for him? He was going into the mechanical engineering. Uh, to suit the Marine Corps. But now he's just like, I like beautiful buildings. I love the artistic side of it. Why not do this? Um, so, I, I mean, from all intents and purposes, it seems like he enjoyed it. Um, well, I mean, good for him, fucking loser. Right. By the end of uh, 1965, uh, Charlie had finally felt like he'd gotten his life in order. Uh, Sure, Kathy was still bringing in more money than him, and he was having to rely on his father for financial support, but at least things were getting better. The tower at um, at the center of the university campus remained a point of fixation for him through all of his time there. Now, he was an architecture student. He could recognize the styles and the work that had gone into the construction, and he learned all of the original and practical plans to use as a library with the dumbwaiter providing the librarians with multi-level access to deliver books to students. Okay. So we're kind of, we're kind the beginning of 1966 is where we're gonna see breakdown. Uh, it's the crack the final, mentally. Yeah. Uh, so in the final days, to add more pressure to young Charlie Jr., uh, February 1966, Charlie got a phone call. Very important phone call. Phone call he's been waiting for for a very long time. Do you want to guess what it is?
1: Publishers Clearinghouse.
0: Close. Uh, it was his mom saying, hey, I need to get the fuck out of here. Oh, that's pretty dope, actually. So he dropped everything and he drove, uh, it was a two-day drive to Florida, but Charlie made it just a little over a day. Uh, and before he showed up at his parents' house, he called the local police, told them what was going on, and they sent a car over to watch out for uh, Charles Sr. Because they are doing all this while watch he was out. At work.
1: Oh, oh the, wow. Yeah, that is dangerous. Doing it behind his back. I mean, yep. that's the only way you can do it, but that's dangerous.
0: So Charlie checked in with the police regular, regularly to ensure that they wouldn't go anywhere, even offering them a cup of coffees in between carrying boxes to the car. So um, they he loaded his mom up. Uh, Charlie thanked the officers, then headed back to Texas. Um, and, <clears throat> And there was no hurry to get home now that his mother was out of danger. And if her will to be free wavered now, he was there to hold her hand and convince her that it was a life worth living. On arrival back in Austin, Charles made some rapid fire moves to get things organized so that his mother could live in something resembling a safe, stable home. She spent one night in Charlie and Kathy's bed while the two of them sprawled on the living room furniture. And then, by the next morning things had been put into place charlie had rented her a small apartment on the other side of the river um, and lined her up with a job as a cafeteria cook both home and job showed every outward sign of being only one step above property but margaret couldn't have been happier Dude, that's that's what's up he was a, he moved and shook on that pretty quick man yeah so uh, with all this added stress now of his mom being there worrying about his dad coming back, um, the B grade started to fluctuate. Not massively, but enough for Charlie to recognize the pattern from his last time he knew that he had too many plates spinning. Uh, his exhaustion began to manifest in different ways. Tension headaches, uh, his concentration began to falter, and the time it took him to complete his schoolwork seemed to be Uh, seemed to stretch out and eat the brief window in the evenings that he got to spend with Kathy. Kathy, then the call started. Uh, Charles Sr. had finally found his number, and he called it at all hours throughout the day. It felt like the phone never stopped ringing and not once did Charlie fail to pick it up.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy. So he was just feeding into it, just kept answering the phone.
0: Yeah, his dad was making himself sound sad, making himself sound weak. Um, he kept asking Charlie to put in a good word for him with his mother, just that kind of stuff. Um, it pushed Char- Charlie Charlie Junior past his limits. He wasn't sleeping. He was barely eating, and he was pouring more and more of himself into his life that is painfully different from the one that he had chosen. This was meant to be an easy life. Go to college, get a job, have some kids with Kathy. Instead, he's hounded day and night by the pleading of a man he hated, but owed all of his happiness to Worked every waking moment on schoolwork and actual work that seemed to lead nowhere and meant nothing. It was all too much for him.
1: I see a solution here that uh, may be unconventional and may sound harsh to some, but he should have just instilled, instead of killing all those people, maybe just killed his father. Right. You know, like, I hate to say that, but <laughs> he could have killed his father and then just been a news story and moved on instead oh, of destroying many lives.
0: If he did that, it would have been his father's voice inside his head. You didn't kill me good enough. You could have done better. Blah, blah, blah. Why didn't you slit my throat a little quicker, you pussy?
1: Nah, man, I don't think that. Like I I get where you're coming from, but he was a one-shot, one-kill man. He would have popped his dad in the head and been efficient as shit, but he would have just hated himself because he would have second-guessed the method of execution.
0: So he did speak to a campus doctor about his state of exhaustion. Without more than a few moments of consultation, he was prescribed Dexedrine it was full of amphetamines
1: uh i'm gonna be honest right now dan i just got a little bit triggered by by you naming that drug even though i know not what it is i'm going through a really difficult time right now and boy could i could i go for some strong drugs
0: uh well we're going to be talking about valium here shortly are you going to be okay
1: yeah, I'll be good, man. I wish I had some fucking Valium. Uh,
0: so, he would feel like twice the man when he walked into the doc- uh than he was when he walked into the doctor's office. Stronger, faster, smarter, uh, capable of facing down all of his problems, filled with the power that he needed to crush them. Pills, man. Uh, yeah, pills <clears throat> are dope.
1: Until they kill you.
0: So, he was in the middle of his breakdown. Um, he took all the uh, that energy and he used it to pack all his clothes um, into a suitcase. A week later, and he was headed for the door and the highway when there was um, when there was a knock. Larry Fuss, one of Charlie's old friends from the time as an engineering student, who now moved on to studying architecture, he knew that. The best way to get five minutes of his buddy's time was to show up, knock, and then walk in as if, he, uh, as if he had been invited. He was stunned by the sight of Charlie on the way out of the door. The happy, balanced man that he had known for the last few years had vanished, and there was some wild-eyed maniac left in his place. He managed to hurt him <laughs> back into the sofa and then pry at him. Uh, Everyone knew that Charlie was overworked, but none of them had recognized just how bad things have gotten. Okay, so he was really coming unhinged. Yeah. His new grand plan was to just load clothes in the car and just start driving until he ran out of fuel and cash. When he lived like a bum, owing nothing to anybody, free from all the demands and manipulation and misery. Uh, his friend Larry managed to talk him down, watched as he put his clothes back, um, and watched as Charlie called up the campus doctor for another appointment. But after Larry left, uh, Charlie called back and canceled the appointment.
1: Mm, I dig it. Smarter.
0: Uh, <sighs> so now we start <laughs> yeah. bad stuff. Oh,
1: yeah, this has all been spotless and very clean beforehand. perfect. So light. Charles Let's doesn't
0: remember that. the first time he hit his wife. One minute Ooh. they were having the usual mundane arguments, and then everything went black, and she was laying on the floor, and he was standing over.
1: Man, sometimes, Jesus, that's terrible. The first time he doesn't remember. did he remember
0: more? The only thing he can remember was his only thought, and that was he was his father. He became the monster. Uh, He became the wife. You gotta. Um, He was numb as he helped her back to her feet and fetched ice for her to press to her cheek. He was numb as she accepted all of his apologies and is begging for forgiveness and a solemn promise that she was the love of his life and that he was going to treat her better. He'd do- done the one thing that he swore to himself. He never would. And he didn't know how to reconcile the evil of his actions with the pain that, uh, that they were causing him.
1: Yeah, man. Once you start beating your wife, you you're, you're going down the path. The first time you do it. Okay. You just, uh, you give yourself allowances and you know, it just goes on a steeper Hill and and snowballs.
0: So Charlie decided that stress was the root cause of his actions and that the source of all the stress in his life was the lack of organization. He, He knew that he was good at following the rules. So he pulled out the typewriter, uh, he used for all of his class essays and he started, uh, Typing rules out for himself, referring back to his journal to seek out patterns of behavior, and that he didn't care for. He began to construct a frame for success every day. This sounds a little bit psychopathic. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I kind of sent you these earlier. Do you remember the daily affirmations? Yes. And they were nuts. Yeah. He would type out thoughts to start today, a list of uh, improvements to his daily attitude, and uh, that he believed would remedy the situation. Every
1: day, he would type out thoughts to start the day, a list of improvements to his daily attitude and interactions that he believed would remedy his situation. Stop procrastinating. Grasp the needle. Control your anger. Don't let it prove you a fool. Smell. It's contagious. Don't be belligerent. Stop cursing, improve your vocabulary. Approach a pot of gold with exceptional caution. Look it over twice. Pay that compliment. Listen more than you speak. Think before you speak. Control your passion. Don't let it lead you. Don't let desire make you ret your present actions later. If you want to be better than the average, you have to work much harder than the average. Never forget when the going gets rough, the rough get going. And honestly, that strikes a nerve because I don't nearly say daily affirmations, but those are kind of the same tenements I live my life by. Like so he, you've heard me say plenty of times, everybody's going to work hard out here to be successful. I have to work that much harder.
0: Right. So the a whole lot of these daily affirmations were found around Charlie's place. Um, you know, after the incidences that take place, so he would write these every day. And they weren't always the same. It was just whatever was bothering him that day.
1: Okay, fair enough. I mean, it's it's it seems like it's a good uh, tool to try and use, but for him, it was absent. It doesn't seem to be effective in alleviating his stress. Yes,
0: he would also um, make little lists about conduct within his marriage. He typed out dozens of them and referred back to them each morning. Every time he and his wife had a disagreement, he shut down, walked away, and typed out another round of uh, self-flagellation, self-deprecation, blaming his behavior for their issues rather than the dozens of other stressors that were weighing on the marriage. He'd write down things like, don't nag, don't try to take your partner over, don't criticize, criticize. Give your honest appreciation. Pay little attention. Uh, Be Curtis. Be gentle.
1: He was typing at his little computer. uh, Entry number three. This bitch burnt the pork chops today. It's my fault. I don't deserve pork chops.
0: Oh, man. Uh, We're joking about it, but that's basically it. Yeah. That's insane. Uh, Like, that. Um, all of his life, uh, self-loathing has been his constant companion, but it had come from the outside. His worthlessness had been injected into him with the constant abuse that he'd suffer at the hands of his father and the punishment he'd received for breaking ranks with the Marine Corps. It was never been a product of, uh, it had never been a product of internal conflict before now while his old methods of distracting himself and managing his mental health um, had worked perfectly when he had someone external to blame, but now they were anchored uh, to the truth that it's his fault.
1: Mm. Okay. So, like, all the stuff before he would hate on himself was really shallow, but now that it's actually his fault, like, oh, fuck.
0: Hypergraphia or graphomania. Boom, boom, yeah, baby. Uh, is a obsessive, unco- oh, dude, I've been sweating those two words. Um, is an obsessive, uncontrollable impulse to write. And while Charlie would never recognize that the impulse, the impulse as a driving force in his own life, it was unmistakable in the endless notation that he left in his wake. It's a condition often associated with front uh, lobe epilepsy but it can be triggered by a variety of causes ranging from the ingestion of chemicals that affect the brain, such as dexedrine. Oh no, a, a prescribed medication with a horrible side effect. Who would have thought,
1: um, you know, every time you give me a a solid word before you give me the definition, I get upset because I get this image in my own head. Would you say it was hypergraphy hypergraphia? Hypergraphia. I just pictured a man with graphs all over the goddamn place. Like in the kitchen, there's a pie chart. Like, see, honey, if you clearly look up here, seventeen percent of the time, you use too much salt in the kitchen. We got to cut that down to three uh, percent.
0: No, it's just this this horrible. Uh, he couldn't stop writing. He had to write everything.
1: He's like, this will be noted, and uh, it will be in your performance review, Missus. On their anniversary, it was just like a yearly review.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So in early March of 1966, Charlie went back to the uh, University Medical Center to seek advice. He was seen by Dr. Jan Cochran, who uh, observed his levels of agitation and immediately prescribed him Valium to bring his stress levels down to more normal levels. In addition... (coughs) <laughs> she insisted that he make an appointment with a campus like psych- uh, psychiatrist to uh, address the underlying issues.
1: You know, I think he would have been a fascinating subject to uh, partake in like the LSD experiments. Oh, man. Also think cannabis would have helped him out, too.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so he's starting to unravel his appointment. Uh, His therapy appointment was scheduled for March 29th with Dr. Maurice Heatley. (coughs) (coughs) Damn. The two men had never crossed paths in the past, owing in no small part to Charlie's near superstitious fear that the psychiatrist might take one look at him and know all of his secret. But Heatley's first impression of Charlie were far from positive. He described Charlie as a massive, muscular youth oozing with hostility. It was unclear how much of that hostility came from the current situation and how much of it was just Charlie's natural state of being.
1: I just picture an agitated Ken Shamrock walking around. Basically.
0: So you mean Ken Shamrock?
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, Ken Shamrock is one of the rare wrestlers that I was a fan of, but I was always scared to meet. Like, I never wanted to meet dude because I just felt like he was off kilter. And I mean, then when I found out he was like a real legitimate fighter, I was like, oh, yeah, he's fucking
0: intense. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's basically a muscular sandman just constantly beating shit off of his head. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's true. Oh. By the way... Uh, you mention that I learned that Sandman, even though his uh, like persona and character looks like white trash, he is actually quite the cultured gentleman. Uh, hits up museums and art exhibits out on the road
0: and knows quite a bit. I've heard that too. Him and Raven were uh, are supposedly extremely intelligent.
1: Yeah, I uh, I learned that from uh, Monique Dupree yesterday.
0: Nice. Check out inquisitive minds. Um, Charlie confessed that he had now struck his wife twice, and this led into a description of his childhood and his home life under the brutal rule of his father. Charlie couldn't understand where all the aggression he was experiencing was coming from, though the psychiatrist had no trouble at all pinning it on his troubled childhood and more specifically his relationship with his father.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so he's all messed up in the head about.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> he he still had this delusion that he could turn it around and become better, not just to be better, but to be the best. He was still fixated on achieving those brief glimpses of perfection that he had defined his hunting his military and his sporting achievements.
1: Was he um, a man who kept his trophies? Like, did he have uh, mounted heads or
0: else? I'm guessing because he ran out of uh, ran out of his childhood home, he didn't get a chance to take all that stuff with him. But I'm gonna guess that all of the achievements that he had while he was at school, he. Uh, Uh, he, uh, fuck, I completely lost what I was saying. He, he probably had the achievements of his previous life or his, his life that he has now that he got from like, you know, going to college and stuff like that. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so the, the therapists. Heatley identified the separation of Charlie's parents as the most likely stressor for his current situation and dug into the details of the aftermath. Charlie uh, tried to downplay his involvement in the process, but there's no way to deny completely. So, all this is just leading to the massive um, break
1: that he has coming up.
0: up. But it's also about the time that he started developing a brain tumor.
1: Yes. Ooh. Yes, and that wasn't found until after his autopsy.
0: Yes. Um. <clears throat> oh, just kind of, you know, little sidetrack. A uh, couple weeks ago, when uh, <clears throat> that buck that we found on that wounded hunting trip was a part of the wounded veteran trip, there was actually a massive tumor grown out of one of the, the valves on the heart. Oh, that's crazy. Did you eat the tumor or did you cut it off? I cut it off. Okay. But yeah, dude, on that that buck was also like uh its back leg was worn down to the bone, like something had sliced it, and it was just like walking with the bone bare.
1: That sounds like an old survivor.
0: Yeah, man. Um the, the the will to survive in animals is so extraordinary. Uh, so anyway, <clears throat> Charlie wasn't convinced. He didn't think this was right. How, you know, like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. There is To him, there was no logical link between his parents' collapsing relationship and his sudden violent urges. He tried to explain this. Disconnect to Doctor Heatley, but the man was convinced by the veracity of his reasoning. The aggression was just an outlet for Charlie's stress, and once the stress had been managed or minimized, he would return to normal. Charles replied, "Sometimes I don't think. I think about sometimes I think about going up the big tower in the middle of the campus with the deer rifle and shooting people."
1: Oh man, foreboding.
0: Yep. Was that regular stress? T- the therapist thought it was. Um, That's not regular stress. No. Um, again, we keep talking about this this you know this disbelief in mental disorders and stuff like that, you know. So, so, Charlie unfortunate, left, so Charlie left the clinic feeling worse than when he started. All these horrible memories that he worked so hard to bury had just been dug up. Uh, Worse yet, the doctor hadn't even prescribed him anything. He had his Valium to bring him down when he was too agitated and his Dexedrine to give him energy when he needed to push through. But neither of that had any effect on the violent surges that flooded through him. Oh, man, that's unfortunate, too. Heatley scheduled another weekly appointment for Charlie, but Charlie didn't chill. Um He fully expected to see Charlie regularly and work through the man's uh, many issues and therapy sessions. He felt hopeful about the boy's future. Now that he reached out for help, everything was going to get easier. But Charlie didn't maintain that path. The psychiatrist had been Charlie's last resort to him. There is nothing more than he could do now to stop the inevitable. He's going to lose himself to his fury. He's going to hurt Kathy. He's going to hurt everyone. He was his father's son after all. And after all these years, the devil that man put inside him at conception was finally raising its horned head. He wasn't he was just giving in
1: to his demons.
0: He wasn't gonna let that happen though, Johnny. He was going to slide, he wasn't gonna slide into mediocrity, punishing those around him for his minor failures. until he became a father and infected the next generation with the same terrible curse that had been bestowed upon him needed to put an end to his current trajectory. Yet even now, there is some spark of pride inside of Charlie. He wouldn't go silently into suicide and oblivion. The world needed to know his name. The world needed to know who he was and what he was capable of. He wasn't going to burn out... (coughs) To an ember of a man He was going to flare so brightly That the whole planet would stare And the after image would haunt them For the rest of their lives
1: Good lord, this is where he really Tried to do a piece of shit Because he could have just killed himself
0: Yes Or, 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 or He could have went to therapy Every fucking week No, no
1: I get that. And, you know, I'm not pro suicide here, but in this instance, it's like it was almost inevitable for him to kill somebody. He could have either killed his father, killed himself, but instead he killed a bunch of innocent people.
0: Well, people aren't going to remember your name if you blow your brains out in the bathroom, Johnny. Dog. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> you know what? All you got to
1: do is blow your brains in front of a couple people, and at least they'll remember you forever. Remember Bud Dwyer? Yeah, he, he did it publicly, and we still remember him.
0: Uh, there were logical reasons why Carly worried Charlie couldn't kill himself. Margaret would fall back into the arms of Charles Senior if he was taken out of the picture. Well, Cat- <sighs> Jesus Christ. What's wrong, Dan? Uh, fucking Carter just called me and it took me off my place. Oh, fuck. Um, go on, Carter, pull it together.
1: We're recording.
0: Yeah. Now I have to take wait it from he. Right
1: on. Take it from uh, he wouldn't. He couldn't kill himself because you know his mother would suck into the arms and shit. like
0: Right. That. <clears throat> <sighs> but he there's a couple of reasons why he felt like he couldn't k- kill himself. Um, Margaret, he felt like his mom would fall back into the arms of Charles Sr. Um, and Kathy would would have been well taken care of by her parents, but he would still be annihilating the version of her that lived here and now with him. He could only imagine the grief that she'd feel as she found out he'd ended it all. She might try not to follow him into the dark. Either way, it would break her, and he couldn't bear the thought of her broken. The two women, <clears throat> the two women who were the center pill- central pillars of his life, held him back from taking any drastic action. But that didn't mean that he wouldn't take action soon enough. The pressure behind his eyes continued to build, and his hatred and fury. <clears throat> towards everything around him continued to grow with it there would come a point where he lost control and he needed to end things before that could happen like everything else that he did he had to think the whole process through carefully and lay out a plan to make sure that he got the results that he was seeking what a goddamn nut job man yeah man
1: Like, so, I get it. Life is tough.
0: So this is where we're going to end part two. We see the break and now he's finally decided uh, that he is going to show everybody who the fuck Charles Whitman Jr. was. Because Okay, this is a very interesting, because, interesting spot to leave it off at. Uh, you know, he, he kind of makes himself out to be a hero. Like, oh, I can't kill myself because my mom's going to do this and my wife's going to miss me. So, you know, if I'm going to go out, they need to go out too because that's the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, it's a really selfish and shitty thing to try and uh, make an excuse for. You're just right. a fucking murderer.
0: But, all right, folks, that's the end of part two. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed Hope it wasn't too much info, Um, and we hope you listen to part three.
1: Yeah, man, I really enjoyed uh, episode two. Again, you painted a good picture of what led to his break, and I think part three, when we start learning about his destruction and what have you, it's really fascinating to see how he snapped and how effective he was because of how he was. Yeah, man.
0: But all right folks hope you enjoyed Yeah peace and love everybody peace and love It was a moonless night i was
2: 18 years old Life was going nowhere It was midnight at the railroad track just they seem to walk on air He promise to get me out of this town I'd be handsome, wealthy and brave I'd travel the world, be powerful but a slave until my grave now it's real. Desert. Does it always gotta run on me? I'm just another of the devil's dogs. Would they ever want with me? He grinned. I signed my name. Diabolical back cadence of an evil choir sand shifted I fell into the pit and marched with the others.